0: year 2022 edition i am feeling so very grateful to be able to continue delivering this podcast to you for those who are new to listening to this podcast thank you for coming along and listening and for those who have listened to the podcast before thank you for your continual support I'm excited to see where things go this year, particularly because I'm in a different space now with having uh, been through uh, burnout and come out the other side in a lot better space. Uh, so, yeah, things are changing in, in terms of where this podcast will go. Not quite sure yet. For those who are new, uh, the podcast was born out of my own uh, experiences of burnout that hit its peak uh, early last year and when the podcast went live in june 2021 i was going through my recovery period and something that i learned very early on uh, that helped support me in my recovery was sharing and hearing other people's burnout experiences it helped me not feel so alone or or at all shameful for my experience, uh, it just helped normalize things, and I learned things off off uh, others when they shared their experiences and what helped them cope or not cope. So, yeah, I learned the value of the importance of hearing other people's stories, but also sharing my own. So the podcast is basically that it's uh, hearing other people's uh, burnout to recover experiences, and and me last year sharing my own in a couple of episodes this year things may change I'm not sure yet Uh, we are continuing and I'll always include the sharing of other people's experiences of burnout to recovery Uh, so that will always have a place on this podcast love to hear your um, thoughts about what you think should be on the podcast so feel free to leave comments uh, to email me Uh, your ideas but enjoy this episode and thank you very much for listening I've been wanting to interview a nurse since the conception of this podcast and I'm very happy to say that episode 9 brings you a nurse's burnout story this nurse is a veteran of the nursing industry with over 30 years experience, both in the UK where she was born and here in Australia where she resides with her family. She has worked in a number of uh, settings within the nursing industry, um, it's just wide and varied she's done both clinical and non-clinical roles and she's done this while raising her family and enduring a number of life challenges along the way. I've been lucky enough myself to work alongside nurses during my psychology career and this profession strikes me as one who is particularly vulnerable to burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma and other psychological conditions such as PTSD and depression. And the research does agree as well. 61% of healthcare workers report burnout and 28% report depression. This is an Australian statistic that was captured by the Australian, and Australian Nursing and Midwifery Association uh, in 2021. Nicola reached out to me early this year after discovering a different kind of gap year blog and podcast. You see, she too is experiencing her own gap year. We even share the same name that we give our gap year, which is a different kind of gap year. It is my absolute pleasure to bring you Nicola's story in this episode. She, like all of my other guests, are sharing their stories because they hope that it will help someone out there that is going through burnout, has a loved one who is going through it, or may go through it in the future. Hi Nicola, and welcome to Burnout, a different kind of gap year podcast.
1: Good morning, lovely to be here, and uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me to be your
0: guest and uh, have this conversation, Shannon, I'm really looking forward to it. You're welcome and me too. I've been very excited to to have this session with you. So thank you so much for that willingness and and also bravery to you know, come on the show and, and share with us your your burnout experience. So yeah, thank you.
1: You're really welcome. I think it's a timing and it, it felt like a good time.
0: Mm, awesome. So let's let's start off gently with setting the scene for the listeners by sharing what your work in home life looks like before your burnout?
1: Yeah, this was um yeah, this was a really good question to start with. I think it really made me reflect a lot and and thinking and preparing for this podcast was um yeah a really good process, because I don't think I'd written to it before now. And it's been a couple of years since my burnout journey, I guess, began. But at the time, I'd been clinical nurse. I'd worked in the UK and trained in the UK over 33 years ago, 34 years ago now, which makes me feel feels like a dinosaur. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we'd moved to Australia in 2004. And when I came to Australia, I originally worked clinically in a neuro um, unit in Uh, and head injury unit in uh, I'm in Western Australia and at at that time that was pretty much one of the sort of first clinical roles I had so working in a different health service and then for the remainder of the time that we were here I then sort of found myself moving into non-clinical roles so at the time Mm. of my burnout I'd been working as a clinical governance projects and service development um, manager had a small team and um, it was within the community youth mental health service and it was with an organization that I was really connected to their purpose it was early intervention um, suicide prevention mm. um, mental health service and we we were basically sort of working anywhere from in schools to yeah rural and remote setting up new programs and services and there was a couple of headspace centers um, within the organization mm. so it was really diverse And yeah, working with Mm -hmm. some of the most incredible um, clinicians, although my role was non-clinical at that time. And the organization had gone through quite a lot of change. There was a lot of competing priorities and uncertainty because COVID um, was obviously Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. at that time. And the pandemic had, had pretty much hit during that sort of April, May June and July. So we were kind of working from home. There'd been a big shift. I was separated from my family because they're all in the UK. So I think I'd started to develop, even probably before that time, a bit of unhappiness in my role. I'd been in non clinical roles for such a long time. And I think my future really at that time, I'd started to feel a little bit unsettled. Was this really my true self and my, you know, my purpose, Mm -hmm. even though I was enjoying all the challenges. And, And I think I'd been very lucky in my career that lots of different opportunities had come up, but I don't think I'd always sort of stopped to think about whether that would have been the next place I would have chosen to go. I never thought I'd stay away from my clinical roles this long. I'd always wanted to be a nurse. I I loved people. And that instant, I guess, sense of purpose with working with people face to face every day is completely different to that broader organizational purpose of you know doing quality and clinical governance mm. audits and um, getting accreditation which was one of our big projects but I did love the new service development mm. starting new programs and working with clinicians so it was a mixed feeling at that time but lots of uncertainty lots of mm. stress from a lot of people around us we were all unsure what was going to happen and also a year prior to that our eldest daughter had had a stroke at only 19 So Mm -hmm. that literally changed things overnight. Mm -hmm. And so it had been a year of um, supporting her. She was doing her nursing studies. I had a younger, she had a younger sister who was in year 11. Mm -hmm. So big time at school and her um, younger brother had just started high school. And we'd also had a number of sort of bereavements in the family and illnesses Mm -hmm. and being separated from family overseas. So work, life, stress, Mm -hmm. um, things at that time had also probably started to catch up with me. I was wearing a lot of different hats and we've always as a family been active and supportive in the community as well so mm-hmm. I think my my network of life was quite huge I love people and it, mm-hmm. you just tend to go bigger and bigger and bigger so we were supporting sort of our daughter through that rehab recovery getting back to study in life and Also, what began at that time was the need for a real purpose. So I was working, but we got involved with the Stroke Foundation and the Young Mm -hmm. Stroke Project because our experience of the lack of support and services and us having to do it alone was actually a real negative part of um, what happened for Beth and her recovery. And, you know, because I was a nurse, neuro was my specialty. You know, it was almost as if we knew what we were supposed to be doing. So we got involved with the Stroke Foundation and that was a real positive part of this time because Mm. I think it allowed me to recognize what my stresses had been even though you're a parent I didn't Mm. see myself as a carer that year leading up to my burnout I was obviously feeling that impact of Mm. caring supporting my family life was uncertain and Beth Mm. was making a great recovery but yeah, it was definitely yeah. a difficult time. But through the Stroke Foundation, we were sort of sharing our lived experience as a family. It was something Beth drove, she wanted to do that mm-hmm. and said, mum, let's do this together. We, I think it'll help and we mm-hmm. can make a difference to other people. So because we were passionate about that, I guess I was doing quite a lot. I was mm-hmm. driven, you know, to con- probably contribute way more um, than I should have been at that time. But it was, yeah, what I thought was the right thing to do, Mm. to turn a negative into a positive. So, yeah, that that was happening. And then, as usual, I love to learn and grow. And I thought, well, with the pandemic, if anything became uncertain in my role where I currently was, I should do some CPD and some online learning. So Mm. I also threw myself into some education and learning Mm. at that time. So I think if I look back at those four components, you know, th- there's a great deal of each of those areas that were probably contributing to a high stress, mm. lots of uncertainty and fear and anxiety starts to sort of step in. And I think probably the more I look at that, where was, I think we were talking about it before we came on, on to have this interview, yeah. you know, where was the, the fun? Where was my hobbies? Where was my you know well-being where was mm. my self-care and i'd gone into driving mode towards i guess a bit of survival mode what are mm. all the things i need to do right now because everything's so uncertain mm. and you do a little bit of everything and realize when you write this down well it's mm. no wonder i was edging towards that kind of period of burnout and you you add grief onto that and we mm. we lost my father-in-law A month after Beth had had a stroke, he had to go overseas. So I was kind of feeling very much, you know, alone at that time Mm. and didn't know what help to really ask for. So Mm. it was a year of survival, I think, but a lot of positive things in Mm. and amongst that that were Mm. healing and, and supportive that I think allowed me to reach out for help and know that I'd reached a point of no return there was also I know you've talked about it in your podcast I think although I was working in a non-clinical environment and I look back to all the areas I've worked in I certainly think vicarious trauma will have crept in you know at different times but Mm. you don't really recognize it when you're in that non-clinical space and Mm. we my era of training was very much you know in critical care you did learn about debriefing you had clinical supervision but i certainly know as this time led up and there was lots of change in our environment mm-hmm. some things slipped and at one point had a fantastic um line manager who was obviously a very senior Mm. (laughs) psychologist. And um, he taught me a lot. And I really appreciated those clinical supervision sessions. And when they slipped, I felt I was slipping. But I did have a trusted friend at work um, who, again, was incredible. And we would bounce with one Mm. another. And I think had I have not had that, I don't think I'd have gone on quite so long because I was putting my Mm. team, and managing people and looking after them first and Mm. not really yeah mm. really looking at what did I need to yeah to sustain this time it's I nice. guess yeah. yeah so it's a very long-winded but hopefully no. it's, it's the scene and and yeah, I guess a little bit about what you realize afterwards yeah what was really happening at that time
0: yeah. there's so so many Nicholas so many key words there that you mentioned about like uncertainty uh, lack of support or feeling alone at times, but then also at times being the support there as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. But um, the time of COVID as well, lots of changes, I think you talked there about the changes yeah. in your workplace as well, brought about by COVID, but also other uh, other things as well. And I even, I don't think you use this word, but I got a sense of dissatisfaction with yeah. your work at the time as well. And just I, I, all these key words that I've come to understand and know that that uh, are things that uh contribute to burnout, and it sounds like yeah. you too. And I was just wondering, when did you know that you were experiencing burnout? That or did you know? Like when was that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think I I don't know if I
1: thought or realized it was burnout. I think, as I say, that language was never really used during my era that I can think of it was about stress or if you're struggling with your mental health or you know um, I think those were the things that were more commonly used and for me I've experienced I think previous burnout And, and I think this is key now I now understand so I can look back at that time but I thought it was grief and loss so the first one was probably that I can think of to say that was definitely it was in 2010 so when my father passed away suddenly and again uncertainty everything mm-hmm. out of whack uh, that fear panic you know just uh, mm-hmm. losing someone so dear to you and I think what happened then was I was in a very senior role and project that was running non-clinical role again mm-hmm. and I literally fell in the heat one day and I knew I just had to well I didn't I think I knew I had to walk away because I needed a break. It had gone too far. So I don't think I learned enough about my triggers or my times leading up. I was almost Mm -hmm. leaving it too late and not reading the signs. So I think I now realized it when I was in my counseling session for the first time after this period when we sat Mm -hmm. down. And I think previously it had been bereavement that had triggered those episodes um, Mm. and that time and earlier in my nursing career it would have been in my critical care sort of settings where I experienced things like bullying I experienced you know that there was a bit of high pressure at a very Mm. young age and I don't think I really had my toolbox Um, Mm. and I was always working in acute settings and then I think I remember the time of working in cardiothoracics and with Mm. pediatrics doing ECMO and you're surrounded by everything and anything and that that fear and anxiety of around Mm. all that responsibility at such a young age. I was capable. My patients were safe, counselling, you know, all the hats you wear, doing organ donation and transplantation. So I look back at that part of my critical care career and don't think I was prepared. And I don't think I would have realised that there were things like burnout that I could be exposed to. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really only come about now that, yeah, my counsellor named it. She also mm-hmm. did sort of diagnose me with, at that time, anxiety and some yeah. PTSD. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I say some PTSD, with, with PTSD. Yeah. And those words are very hard to get out because I don't talk about myself. I just get yeah. on with life. So, yeah, it was actually a relief when it was named and yeah. those things were named because I thought, mm. okay, now I know and it's not surprising. And mm-hmm. as a nurse, you're always caring for other people. And I do have that caring nature. I've been like that since I was a little girl. Yeah. But I did. I tried to push away that mental health diagnosis. I didn't want to hear that was me because I felt I was failing. Mm-hmm. And I felt disappointed in myself that I'd not put in the right self-care you know, to be the best for my family and go, how can you possibly have let you get get yourself to this space? But it's probably been a part of my life for a long time that I've just pushed away. But I think the education around what burnout is now and the language is actually really helpful. (laughs) And I want other people to know what it looks Mm. like and that it's not all negative and it's okay. Yeah, and I think the other thing was that I was so busy and I was so focused and I was so driven, driven on with so many things and as a way of healing and coping I guess I was pouring from an empty cup but I was Mm. doing more and more I was volunteering getting involved in other things but Mm. actually that was making me happier because I was doing those things than my actual job Mm. at the time and it started to make me realize what did I love when I was nursing and it wasn't Mm. this non-clinical space it made me realize it was actually there was something I was missing and that's why I'd been probably unhappy And not necessarily, I think I was probably self-sabotaging at the time, Mm -hmm. that I actually probably did want to leave. But, you know, it wasn't the right time where I was thinking of other people and not really thinking of myself. And it wasn't the organization. It probably was more about me, you know, Mm -hmm. taking the time for myself, you know, and thinking Mm -hmm. about what did I need to do right now? So I talked to my husband, fell in the heat one day, had a cry and said, this is what I think I need to do. Mm -hmm. I need to step back from work and I need to step back into my life so Mm, yeah yeah, it it, which I look back now and it's like I've done it once before and it was the Mm. best thing I did I had a gap year and it was all about being mum family community and things were good so Mm. I think because I'd taken that time before I knew that now was the right time as well Mm. but it was very difficult to walk away from my work, and and I think my health was suffering so much at that time. I
0: was just wondering, just stepping back a little bit there, yeah. Uh, about because you've mentioned a few of the sort of signs that things weren't okay, and as yeah. you know, at the time you didn't label it as burnout, but you know, later with your counsellor, and and of course the other things surrounding that bereavement uh anxiety vicarious yeah. trauma and often it's not just burnout that has been going on for us yeah. over a period of time but yeah you mentioned a few signs there of not being well that, yeah. that either in reflection or at the time but I'm just wondering for the listeners if there's any other signs that you're now aware of or were aware of at the time that yeah I'm not doing quite well you know that something's yeah. up yeah. yeah
1: yeah I think yeah I mean the obvious one for me was I think I became quite unwell in myself my physical health you know you doing things mm-hmm. like you know the habits like I know I wasn't sleeping well I was getting a few more sort of viruses and colds I think you've talked mm-hmm. about this Shannon and as well and you know mm-hmm. that you're becoming the word is rundown a little rundown um you know but then I think in my head just things like I look back now and I'm like gosh my com- my th- things like being able to concentrate I hadn't realized mm-hmm. how it was impacting it. work it was taking me so much longer to do things and then I wonder what my quality of my work was like and I think I had withdrawn a bit more from really sort of I'd gone into myself at work and it's now that I look back and I think because a lot of the people I work with in mental health, they've got their own lived experiences. They probably could see more than I was even realising in myself. And I think Mm -hmm. I I lost a lot of confidence. There had been a lot of change, you know, Mm -hmm. in roles. And I think I was getting in my head that I thought other people were losing confidence in me. No one said that. No (laughs) No, no one addressed it. It was all still for And I had positive relationships at work. But I look back now and go, was I really doing myself any favours? I wasn't exercising. I wasn't taking breaks at work. And I think, yeah, just lots of bad habits. And so emotionally, I think I was exhausted. I was spending a lot of time talking about others, about how they were doing. Same with sort of family overseas. My mum would sometimes be quite unwell and need to be admitted to hospital. That was a very frightening time. So I would spend a lot of time, you know, late at night worrying about her, you know, was I could I lose my mum because she was vulnerable, she could get COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things that were uncertain. The other signs I think were I was frustrated with myself. I'm like, I'm On the outside, I looked a really happy, fine person, I'm sure. And I smile a lot and Mm. engage with people. But inside, I felt numb and withdrawn. And I did withdraw from friends and colleagues, I guess, and and my family. I certainly didn't let them in on what was happening. Because when you're so far away from each other, you don't want to worry one another. So that's a bit of a bad habit as well, rather than being honest. But despite this, I sort of dedicated Mm. myself still to my work, I think. And, you know, you showed up. But I'm not sure I was really Nicola. So, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. And and I'm sure, yeah, I don't really think, I was going out walking and we were doing a few things. But Mm. I was very insular. I felt safe just with my family. I felt more Mm -hmm. safe at home, a lot more time at home, which COVID Mm. did that anyway. But I think that's probably a pattern that I have had when things get tough I sort yeah. of open, I go big and out and wide and then I draw everything back in again and um, when things become uncertain yeah. so Yeah. And and blood results from the doctor usually give Mm. you a few indications. And actually, that is something, Shannon, that I hadn't, again, nursing, you think you know everything about everything and all these years, but all of my blood results, because Mm. I was feeling so unwell, so they did everything and anything. Wasn't sure if it was my age as well. (laughs) But you know, it was showing lots of different signs. You know, my cholesterol was, a I had inflammatory markers and this was purely a stress response as well because all those things have settled yeah. now, although there's some things I still need to improve. Um, things like, your, you know, your blood sugar levels. And I really hadn't understood that those physical you know that physical ill health you know and things like my iron been low you know obviously it was like is there a reason that's a health reason and a diagnosis I'm waiting for or is this an emotional exhaustion and I think that's when we both realized that you know it was a combination but I had never been at a point that it had impacted my health in that Mm. way
0: so very important to get that checked because you know things can change. Yeah, our emotional uh, and, and physical health, our mental and physical health, they're all combined and one affects the other. and
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And
0: I think I think the other thing as
1: well, Shannon, was I was sitting there listening every day, reading documents, writing reports, tenders, you know, writing policies and, you know, and, and you're reading research on young people and their mental health. And we had a lovely mm-hmm. carer reference group and youth reference group who they were sharing their lived experience and stories all the time to mm-hmm. try and... Make make a difference and in in all of that time it's still quite amazing that you're listening and you're taking it all in and you're learning Mm -hmm. but you're still not realizing it's happening to you at that time and Mm -hmm. I find that quite because we don't stop we're not tuning into ourselves and I think that that's yeah because I was just going at 100 miles Mm -hmm. an hour but I had every reason to have the knowledge the understanding Mm -hmm. to be able to you know stop this slippery slope but you you just still don't think it's happening to you. You think you've got this and that you're in control and no, everything's going to be okay and you think you're invincible. Mm. So it's mm. the biggest learning, I think, out of all of it I have yeah. had. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's staring you in the face. You mm-hmm. just keep going and going until you fall in a heap. Yeah. Until <laughs> and you that's not it. the way to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's, yeah, like I, I have heard that from others as well, particularly health professionals. And I know myself as well with my burnout experience that I was like, hang on, I, with all the knowledge
1: and yeah. skills
0: and strategies that I have under my belt, how did I not, how yeah. did this happen? And what you just said is a big part of it that I was just go, 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 go. Yeah. And if you don't stop and, and and check in once in a while, you're not going to see those signs. It's hard. And we, we live in a culture that really supports that no rest, <laughs> just yeah. productivity. Yeah. And I think it's the different hats and the roles as well. I
1: think, Shannon, that's something I've worked at as well, you know, that There was a time where, you know, I I love being mum and at home, three children and raising them, but always adding work into that and, you know, combinations of different things. You you shrink and shrink and shrink that time even more. There is always time, but whether you make that time or always choose something else, and I think that's something I've realised, it's always choosing something else, you know, over yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. And my husband was probably telling me you know but again if you listen and he was recognizing things in me but you know yeah. if you but you still don't think it's at that point yeah
0: so nicola like yeah the i know you said that no one you didn't talk about it to start with but yeah. you were just mentioned that your husband was noticing oh. changes in you so yeah. i wonder if you could talk to that experience of of, um, you know the, the family around you even your your friends or work whoever's relevant there about their awareness of, of what was going on for you and when you did start to share just what that was like
1: for you well I'm very lucky to have had you know a one well I have a wonderful husband and he's always been supportive and you know we were going through a lot Together, but I think, um, you know, particularly after what happened with our daughter, and he was going through his own grief and loss when he lost his father, you know, at that time as well. So, I think we probably. Um, you go into this kind of efficiency mode I think as parents as well that who was going to do what and you know we didn't have family here that we could just sort of go or oh, maybe you know the family would like to go and stay with their grandparents and you have that time to sort of offload I think um, I probably went into this insular mode mm-hmm. so you stop really talking and sharing and I didn't really tell him probably soon enough how I was feeling or how yeah, I just wanted to stop. And I probably knew that, but then I didn't act on it. And I don't think I knew what to tell people. So I didn't open up it, you know, at work Mm. only to a trusted friend. I probably, I look back now and did I need to leave work? That's one of the big questions. Did I need Mm. to walk away? But I did not feel psychologically safe at work. I didn't necessarily trust That we had systems or experienced people that would know how to help. I think that there'd been a shift in the culture. Now, whether that was what I perceived, but unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I I probably knew too much about what others had gone through. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel that, because I don't know what I was asking for. You go off sick and you're unwell, and I knew it was that. And then everything else became so personal, I didn't realize, I didn't think it was a place for work. And I didn't think it was conversations I needed to have with work. So I thought, I'm just going to leave. Now, that's because I had a choice. And as a fact, you know, we were able to. If I hadn't have been able to leave work, um, you know, because that financial stress and Mm -hmm. burden was there, would I have gone back? And, of course, I'd probably still be there. And then it would become cyclical because I don't think too much would have changed. So... Uh, Yeah, and I think because I was so busy at the time, and because COVID was there, it was very easy to retreat and not speak to family and friends. You know, you'd catch up and the conversation was all about the pandemic and how Mm. they were all doing. And in the UK, everything was so uncontrollable, you know, at that time. It was very different to what we were experiencing here in Western Australia. Our lives looked totally different. So I was being very much you know, listening to what was happening for the, you know, family yeah. and friends overseas. And then here, because everyone retreated into their own homes at the period that I probably needed people or should have, mm-hmm. you know, just sort but found that sanctuary, I guess, with friends. Yeah. There was just too much shame. I didn't want to really tell people how bad it was, I don't think. And I had previously had a supportive Line manager at work, who I would Mm -hmm. have done if they were still there at that time, I probably would have gone to them. But there was so Mm -hmm. much happening for you know all the new management that I was like, I actually don't think I want to burden you, and I don't think that you can fix this for Mm me. I now think it's so about me and the personal side of this Mm -hmm. more than it was the work side. So I think I knew I would just walk away, and there were options for me there, but they weren't the options I wanted. So it was probably a timing. A timing mm-hmm. thing as well which is why I didn't reach out at work and I didn't want to be vulnerable and maybe it is my generation you know mm-hmm. you don't want to be a burden and you know you don't really want to offload something that I think I can probably work through myself mm-hmm. to know what's right for me and my family so it was in a way easier to have my lovely GP who is so supportive mm-hmm. sign me off six say take a break mm-hmm. get some counselling and support and work through this to know what you need and not what you think you should be doing so I was Mm -hmm. able to rest recover and reset because I kept my space small um and I embraced that gap year (laughs) I genuinely think I and and when I came across your work and Mm -hmm. I literally said the week before I think I told you this Mm -hmm. when we were chatting on the phone for the first time I said I'd literally said to someone the other day when I could turn it into a positive I Mm -hmm. it wasn't that I'm a failure and I've had to leave my job and, you know, I'm broken. It's not, it wasn't that. It was actually, do you know what? Life's been huge over most of my life Mm. as so many people are and, Mm you know it's just time to take that that gap year have a break and, mm. and see what can come and and not put it in that negative context so as mm. much as it's all an emotional journey there's yeah. been a lot go on in that time that maybe people looking out you know in into your world from the outside in mm. would go wow you know but I, I don't I still think I've compared a lot to a lot of stories and a lot of people I've met throughout mm-hmm. my lifetime. And I think this was something that was going to be okay. And I did mm-hmm. tell myself that. I knew it would be okay because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm loved, I'm supported, yeah. I'm very yeah. lucky to have a lovely life where I live. And there were so many mm-hmm. things that were going to help in that process. So yeah. I think that's also why I didn't open up to friends because mm-hmm. I felt like I had what I needed and that was enough. And not everybody needs to know everything. And that noise, you'll know, Sharon, how you felt. Mm. I just wanted quiet. I wanted peace. Mm-hmm. I, I yes. spend my life talking, you know, at work and you know with your kids. I just wanted some peace and some quiet. And that sensory overload that I guess I was probably feeling, mm. just wanted to to just have some quiet. So, not I only talked at times where I needed to go and offload talk and work through that therapy which is why I would say to anybody Mm. it's wonderful it helps Mm. I needed professional help to work me through that Mm. process and so therefore you can share some things with your family you can share some things with your Mm. friends but I was certainly not up for the oversharing.
0: It sounds like you found your balance you know with with who you shared with and who you didn't and I think there's a lot of wisdom there too you know for those who are listening about you know when they're making those choices I loved how you said there that you don't have to speak out to everyone it's not everyone is going to be a safe person to share with like you made that decision with work you know that yeah. that wouldn't be a, a safe uh, enough um, you know to share with them and how much you share like there's so much there yeah. you shared about who you seek support from and just those personal things that stop us as well like that shame that we feel or even those learned experiences that might come with our generation Um, I mean my generation it did start to become more okay to go see a counselor compared to my parents age but there was still a bit of taboo around suffering from uh, mental health conditions it certainly I didn't speak about I didn't couldn't even say the name either and and until you know Till after recovery. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. You think as well,
1: Shannon. It's the I think it's labeling a diagnosis, and it's it's actually not about those things either. And I think maybe that was where I really struggled Mm -hmm. because it's almost like you think it's going to define you, and it really doesn't. Because it's Mm -hmm. just helping you understand you know where you're actually at what what it means but what you can do so it's a positive but I'd always put it in that negative context for myself yet I've been working in an area where we were saying it's it's okay to not be okay finding help is important you know breaking the stigma around this so I think that shifted now because would I have thought a year or two or even 10 years ago I'd talk about myself and this so personally on a podcast no (laughs) whereas now it's like, why, why would we do that? And it's because I've realized the power of lived experience and, and listening to people like yourself. And I've met so many wonderful people out there that when you can talk to peers or people who've been through something similar, it, it's... it's you don't have to continue those relationships ongoing and um, they're part of the journey I think to you understanding more about what this is for other people and no two journeys are the same but you can piece some of the bits that just help you start to make sense for yourself so there's there is a positive in that and that's the curiosity and the exploring I think to learn more about what's happening for you which is what counseling is isn't it it's what seeking Mm. support or having your person whoever that is that you can just sometimes work the tough days with not every Mm. day but there'll be days where some things are easier than others or Mm. sharing that knowledge with someone else that you can see is struggling so Mm. it is a blessing to have worked where I've worked and I learned so much from the people everyone that I work with Mm. you know from top down bottom up however you want to look and across the middle clinicians are incredible and and it was a privilege to be in that environment because that's why it's brought me to where I am you know this time on to be able to have words for this time yeah
0: yeah to have words yeah no definitely so I I know you've talked to this a bit already Nicola about what had supported you, you know, the, the decisions, the, the things that, yeah, helped you to recovery, you know, to support you through it. I was wondering if you can talk more to that, like those coping skills. Yeah, now that's interesting, coping skills. Well, I suppose
1: then you come out and you eventually finish some of your counselling and support and mm-hmm. then you're back to life really and and getting on with your normal routines. So I think I'd learned definitely the boundaries. I really have overstretched myself probably you know, most of my life in, you know, mm. it, it's just who I am. And I wouldn't change that as such, but I think I've learned how far to go with that and and where to stop. So I probably once upon a time would have gone, right. Okay. And well, off to, off to work again, let's look for something else. And I mm. did have to sit for a while because I'd only just begun my recovery. So after about four months, I think mm. I realized, no, this is going to actually take some time. So, That was my hardest point. I had to keep bouncing back to myself to say, you're not ready to go back yet. You know, you need to actually just have time in life. So I did listen to a lot of the advice that I was given. And there was that question mark, which I think you've talked about as well. It's that, should I actually return to any of this kind of work that I've been doing mm. my entire career in life, so that still is a question. And I'm, you know, a year or more out of, you know, having left work. But my my coping mechanisms, I think, have been my volunteering and working with the Young Stroke Project because that's been more since burnout. That's probably been the other side of this. That
0: mm. you know, when you've
1: had a loved one who's had a life changing experience at such a young age. My coping, I think, has been supported by, I've been working on a co-design and lived experience project, so I've been coming to a room and a safe space with a lot of people for the last, you know, for the whole of this time, mm-hmm. and I think that's helped my healing. It's helped me learn from others who have been through something very different to myself, and I have felt that I had a purpose, So I think my coping came with that I found a new purpose because of what our daughter went through. And I'm on a journey of just seeing where that takes me. I've always had to have in my eyes what's been the next thing i'm quite i guess i'm ambitious and i'm curious mm-hmm. i love to learn i love to explore new things and new opportunities and i like to challenge myself
0: yeah. which is why i've
1: worked in clinical corporate mm-hmm. non-clinical community mm-hmm. hospital but i think i've got to a point in my career now and and life where i've gone i really do need to sit with this and that was some good advice mm-hmm. that i came across a wonderful person who had shared their lived experience and and his advice was just give yourself time, but plenty of time, you know, just keep listening to yourself and, you know, it, it's not going to be easy, you know, it's not going to be a quick fix, but it's the more time you give yourself, it's a positive, you know, and that's something we talked about, you know, give yourself the time that you need. And at that time, the way that I cope was I actually got on board with the burnout no more course. So I met Apple Han mm. who has shared his lived experience of burnout And he's on a mission to reduce that in healthcare. And I met people like Elena Murray, the happy, Mullery, sorry, Elena, the Mm -hmm. happiness. And I listened to a lot of podcasts and I went for walks, went to the beach, had my quiet time and explored a lot Of other people's experiences and where things have taken them and what Mm. they've done and what helped them listen to people like yourself and have come across people Mm. like yourself Shannon and we we come from all areas of work it's not Mm. just health and probably something else that has helped me cope is knowing that this is a huge issue at this moment in time Mm. and so I'm one very you know, small experience from what's going on all around the world Mm. for people for lots of different reasons that are going to be probably we we find out a lot more traumatic for lots of different reasons because the pandemic's brought something very Mm. different to our health field and to the workplaces. So I think it kind of normalizes things that you don't Mm. think you've got something weird and wonderful Mm. or a diagnosis or an experience that no one else will understand now burnout language has become commonplace for people to actually probably help make it make sense Mm. so I feel like I've got clarity and I feel Mm. at peace with that a little bit more Mm. to mean that I can just process this and so what I did was I actually once Attila and I got to talk and I'd shared some of my experiences, he said, would you like to come on the course? And, you know, mm. this is what I'm doing. And I said, I think I would love to do that. I And it's a lot of behavior design, but yeah. all of the modules, I had the time, I could do that. If work could have offered me something like that in my recovery, mm. well, that would have been fantastic because... The counselling sessions were one thing, but I had all this exploring to do to get to know myself, both personally and professionally again, and possibly even navigate some new beginnings. So I think what helped me cope was doing the course. It was understanding, like there's modules that are understanding the road that you've been on. Well, that was an entire reflective process. I came together with a community of like-minded people who were wanting to learn about burnout, who also wanted to, you know, work themselves through their recovery, we had shared experiences. So it was really supportive. I didn't feel on my own anymore, but it was Mm -hmm. something positive I could work through in a structured way and stimulate my mind because Mm -hmm. I wasn't used to not working. So I think, yeah, and and it was, I started to really understand myself, you know, where do I feel significant? Why have I been craving certainty? These are all modules, how I grow for purpose. That's what I've chosen all my life. Something happens to a loved one. Mm -hmm. And my purpose has been to choose that specialty and go and work in that specialty.
0: And (laughs) it sounds like in that, there's a lot of self-discovery and exploration that you've been doing and and, and this course particularly yeah. um, helped with that as as well with um, Athol, I think. You, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll have to get the links there for his um, program because yeah. it sounds absolutely wonderful and, and very useful for you uh, at the time to really explore what has happened but also new beginnings. You mentioned that too. Yeah. Where to from here because, like me, you also questioning you know in in terms of that workspace and what that's going to look like and yeah yeah going forward yeah yeah
1: and I think I've always loved that kind of again it's like there's a module that's choice and free will and and that's very much around sort of you know what what fulfills you what makes you feel content Having that significance in life that makes you feel and and that's nursing to me that that's being a compassionate healthcare professional. So what does this now look like for me? What drives me personally? What drives me professionally, but also that time, I spent a lot of time looking at my professional side And Mm -hmm. really focused on that workspace, even though I was being hopefully, you know, a wonderful mum and I've had work life balance, I've worked from home, I've done project work. So I've always been able to be mum and juggle those things. But I hadn't actually realized just how much my family have driven me Mm
0: -hmm. and where
1: that overlaps into my workspace until Best Stroke, really. And then I went, oh my gosh, I always neuro was my thing, you know, working in rehabilitation and brain injury mm. rehab. That was so my passion. So I've almost found myself again wow. and reminded myself, what were the things that took me to nursing in the first place? And I'm almost back to that point with the co-design and the lived experience work, but oh I can God. put two hats on and go, wow, that's my clinical. I'm a professional, mm. but that's my personal. And it it feels really great. Yeah. And, and, and I'm meeting so many incredible people from mm. actually all around the world and learning about lots of different, you know, mm. services, programs, research projects. So it's mm. actually, you're being fulfilled in a different way and and it's made me think very differently about what this next chapter of life might be I don't have an answer of where I'm going but I think I can say yes the stroke community will always be a part of my world now Mm -hmm. and burnout yes if I can make a difference to one person Mm -hmm. or that next generation of healthcare professionals like my daughter (laughs) Mm -hmm. making sure they have the tools that I didn't and that Mm. knowledge and that understanding that they hopefully can read the signs before they get to that point Mm. and we can retain them and keep them in you know the healthcare setting like Mm. all of our wonderful professions
0: yeah and there's so many links I can see from where you are now from where you were a year or so ago or even further than that. Just one of the things that stands out for me is that, and I put the word on dissatisfaction, but maybe disconnection with what you were doing at the time, whereas I hear a sense of connection now with what you're doing, even though, like you said, you're still, you know, on a journey in terms of what your uh, work will look like. But with what you're doing right now, you feel very connected. You sound very connected with yourself and, in the workspace but in also your non-professional you know you just feel yeah quite centered and connected I don't know if that's what yeah I know I think that's a really it
1: is a good yeah I I love it when you you chat back to me and say this is what I see because when when you're in it and amongst it you you don't always see it and I think that's why talking to you has been great because I've really looked back and and I'm doing that more now not always looking forward I'm learning from myself and um I guess that's a good thing to do but it's coming from an informed and supported space you know you're not trying to have to work it out on your own mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like I look back at that time and I go yeah I put some notes down and I was like yeah I felt helpless I felt mm-hmm. negative I felt beaten and I was really disappointed mm-hmm. and alone none of those words resonate now with me I actually feel far far away from that mm-hmm. in even that sport you know that that's sh- it is a short time a year seems like a long time but it's not when like like you've gone so far from who you were I've started to say well who who am I you know I never felt like I was a false person or pretending to be something that I wasn't and I think it has been finding that authenticity you know Mm -hmm. I only want to be Nicola I don't want to be pretending to be this person or that person and I think I was disconnected from myself and disconnected Mm -hmm. from others so when you surround yourself by and you connect with those Mm -hmm. people who truly are your family your friends and your supports Mm -hmm. who only want the best for you as you only want the best for them then you you start to feel safe and secure Mm -hmm. and and go no like life's okay again now you know Mm -hmm. just slow down and and I think the slowing down and slow living and and but when you've moved around as much as we did, my husband and yeah. I, we were moving every year for 10 years, even in wow. one country. We've lived overseas a couple of times. And mm-hmm. so we were constantly moving, moving, moving. And then we came to Australia, which has now been 18 years. But I feel like I've been settling. And this could also have been a big contributing factor. You're mm-hmm. 100 miles an hour because you feel like you're still trying to yeah, find your place in mm-hmm. in you know, your community or, you know, the schools and friends feel like you belong. And I think we're finally there and I'm settled, our family, we have a home. There's lots of really lovely new beginnings, but Mm. we've been through so many rocky times. We're finally in a place, I think, where, yeah, this is home. We've got things to look forward to and we always plan ahead and getting in the outdoors and just balancing life again when you're yeah. just running 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 so yeah that's the personal side as well that really does impact you mm. and when you're at work you know and doing that as well and all the after school mm. running around you know there's a lot to show your kids about slowing down and and taking mm. time and resting and i wanted to be the best self to show them i don't want them to repeat that mm. history in a way you have to keep going, going, going. You have to always strive for something more and something more. You don't. Just be present. Show them some good self-care.
0: Yeah. So something that helps support you in continuing to do what you've been doing, you know, slowing down and resting and taking that time is that this is this is a lesson you want to impart to your kids. So you doing oh. it helps that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and sure.
1: sharing it with them but not oversharing but educating them. You know, our daughter's now going to start her first, you know, registered nurse position and she's going to a critical care environment and she'll be doing paediatric you know sort of um, specialties and that's a very emotional ride as a young person and I did the same so um, I'll sit here and if she wants to ask and Mm -hmm. I've shared some things and want to impart that knowledge and hopefully she'll do the burnout course and have the tools you know in in her toolbox to understand the importance Mm -hmm. of well-being and whatever that looks it looks very different for different people you know not everybody wants to sit down and meditate I do I've learned That's one of the tools that does help me slow down. They'll find what works for them, but yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love them to understand the language around burnout Mm. and the different experiences that people have, Mm. and and then hopefully they can have a long and happy, (laughs) fulfilled life. But you know, life's not perfect. They'll have their own bumps in the road. Mm. But if we can share anything with the next gen, I think it's so important.
0: I think there's something like out of your story that you you know shared so eloquently today is that being able to share it you know and sharing your experience or having others share to you that helped you as well you want to be part of that normalizing and validating that this is something that can happen but there are ways in which you can get through this you know and finding your own way you know because yes it is different for everybody and and what that will look like for them but yeah I really hear that imparting (laughs) yeah Um, yeah yeah, definitely
1: yeah. And I think clarity, clarity is a huge part of it. When you're feeling quite lost, the clarity mm. and the words, and I, that's definitely what Ethel gave me when you can't put the words to something, what do we always do? We use the words of another, you know, mm. I think that's so true. And, and that's what this was. Mm. So yeah, it all made sense. I just mm. needed things to make sense because at the time, nothing mm. felt like it made sense yeah, you've got so many questions for yourself and yeah. suddenly when someone else can put some words around that you relate to and we'll all find different people, I think that's the thing. It's no one person I'm telling my story but there'll be so many other people, you know, yeah. out there. To be honest, most of them are clinicians that I've met. That's yeah. why, you know, and, and they're wonderful people so why wouldn't we want to go and talk to them,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly, yeah, whether it's a GP counsellor, work colleague, you know, like, yeah, yeah it's just. I think you said it earlier too, you didn't have words and it was really that was part of what made it hard to to talk about it was that yeah. you didn't have words for it. You were in the space of being so lost and disconnected. And so yeah, it's it's so hard to to make that first step. If I could support someone else on mm. their journey, I'd
1: rather be in a room doing that now than anything yeah. else you know to walk yeah. alongside other people I think is probably one of the biggest gifts in life and um, mm. I'd get a lot of pleasure from from that more than anything now
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. There sounds like a lot of things that you look back on now and and things are different for you if that makes sense yes <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, they yeah, gen- the genuinely thing. are. Yeah, each genera- each 10-year sort of window, yeah. I think. You know, I look back at, you know, you go through your childhood and then it's sort of your 20s, 30s, 40s, and then that 50s. My mum once said, you know, it, by the time you're 50, you, you probably stop worrying what people think so much. And, yeah. oh, my goodness, she, she really is right. And yeah. I wonder why I wasted my time so much in the past. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's just those things through life that, yeah, you sometimes yeah. take you and you have to leave them behind eventually and we are who we are and as long Mm -hmm. as you can take the best person you know Mm -hmm. into that that time then Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I tell my kids anyway just be kind you know look out for others but remember to look after yourself in the meantime I think yes the biggest lessons that I've learned and I need to remind myself that I'm still no way near perfect there's so much I need to work on still but getting there no Yeah, and there's always a shift isn't there in life you know that life will be good right now and you think that Mm -hmm. things are nice and steady and something comes along tomorrow that changes everything Mm -hmm. in a moment and you have to adapt and it is a bit of resilience I suppose Mm -hmm. but it's mainly being able to adapt and and shift and and yeah
0: and experiences like burnout or vicarious trauma or depression or they're a sign that things are you know, uh, are not okay right now, and what can I do? You know, that yeah. almost like a, a turning point, and uh, we don't necessarily all the time are able to avoid those things. Uh, yeah. But when we yeah. are in those things, it's a sign something's up here, and and something needs to change. and And what can I do? And and there's so much that you you shared today that in your own experience that helped you. Uh, walk through that and and get to where you are today, which is you know in, in still uh, you know working um, through that, uh, but definitely finding some connection again and and some peace in and yes. settledness as you mentioned in, um, in the here and now. I was just wondering if there's it because there's so much that you have shared already, so I feel <laughs> like you've answered this question. But just anything else that you'd impart to either a person who might be going through this or is supporting someone who might be going through something like this that y- you would share with them? Uh, yeah, to yeah,
1: say. I think um, oh, one of the most important things, I think, yeah, we have touched on it, is to create mm-hmm. space, I think, and time for mm-hmm. talking. Um, we get very busy and we think we're talking. To, and we think we're making time to sit with our loved ones but yeah that time for talking listening and supporting your loved ones I think is yeah helpful and And you have to be quite conscious of, especially when you've got a busy family life, you know, everything's going along, you know, so I think, you know, I don't know what that looks like for different people. It might be a walk on the beach, date night, you know, it might be just sitting on the couch or, you know, sitting in the garden. It could be anything, but I think making that time to just check in with each other, you know, my, my, my husband was great. You know, he was asking, you know, do I need some help? Yeah. So if you are a loved one, I think ask what, what. What help do you need and what does it look like for them? They may not know. So you can suggest them know your thoughts and there's no right or wrong. And I think that way you're not feeling alone. You're not feeling shame and guilt or embarrassment, which you can actually feel with your partner and your family you know Mm -hmm. I'm suddenly at home every day and my kids now think oh you know mom's got not doing much you know you can even think that um or oh well it must be wonderful you're not working now you know Mm -hmm. and that that kind of external or voice in your head and I think that's half the battle it's actually as long as you're okay with it and your family then that's all that matters and I think the other thing was you know Ask what their fears, worries, and concerns are. You know what would help alleviate that because it is a worrying and a fearful time in some ways. You know, and just saying it out loud is yeah, Mm -hmm. it's really helpful. And Mm -hmm. and that might be with your partner, that might be with your counsellor, but I think it, it works in both ways. And. And if they're not seeking help, encourage them to seek professional help. You know, if you know other people who've maybe been on a similar journey, which is why I think now I do speak about it, because I hope as with, mental health and I've known lots of young teenagers and their parents that I know you know they've been struggling and they knew or worked in youth mental health so they knew mm. to, that they could ask someone what should we do and where should we go so I think if you've got a trusted person it could be at work it could be in a clinical supervision session if you're in the workplace it could be a mentor it could be mm-hmm. a friend it could be a GP or it could be a service but whatever it is just you know making that starting point to seeking support if you're really mm. worried I think that's what loved one's do, do best. And they're almost mm. kind of reassuring you that, yeah, you're right. You know, you're not great at the moment. I think it'd yeah. be really good to talk to somebody. And that's where my husband was really supportive because he was obviously seeing it himself. And yeah. you, he didn't like seeing me that way. He wanted mm. to help and it wasn't me. And um, he just wanted me to be happy. I think that's what we talk about. A lot and he could obviously see I was unhappy and that wasn't in our life I was unhappy within myself
0: such important advice there you know from your own lived experience as well as I just really hear the having the conversation making space for it you know that often we think we're having those talks you know with our kids or our partners or or, you know husbands wives but that um, because we're running 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 (laughs) uh, that often we're not really truly present so being present asking and even being aware like you said that often the person who is suffering who's not okay like yourself and me that we're often in our own heads experiencing a (laughs) a lot of guilt so and a lot of fear and anxiety and so even asking about that and encouraging to get support I mean you're one of the things I always say is to my husband even still now is like your role isn't to fix it you're not going to be able to fix it
1: absolutely
0: you're here to support and encourage you know and, and he does and he does a fantastic job at it as well I'm very lucky to have him and but encouraging and just being yeah like, often I just say give me a hug (laughs) yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah and just that you know that you're not alone you know I think you're alone in your head you're not alone in the physical sense you know because my life's always looked like I'm surrounded by lots of people but um, I definitely have had those huge periods of alone and feeling lonely and it's been for different reasons to what we think loneliness is um, and I think it's when yes. you're struggling you know it's how
0: you you withdraw within yourself so yeah yeah definitely thank you so much for sharing your burnout story with us Nicola um so much rich richness there that that you've shared today and I hope you you got out as much with the experience of sharing your story as as I'm sure the the listeners will as well Oh, absolutely. It was wonderful. And I think it's been able to turn that kind of period
1: of time that, you, you know, when you're in it, it seems so negative Um, you know, and, and it, it's not a quick fix overnight. So it is about just getting the right help, the right support, having the right understanding, getting to learn what burnout is and you know just try and embrace the steps day to day you know Mm. and take a day at a time it does get easier over time I think and um yeah you definitely don't have to do it alone and it's been a journey and I think I've really embraced the gap year and I'll continue to do that Mm. and those gap years I was thinking about it today Mm. it's um they can sometimes be the best times of your life. None of this has to be, you know, necessarily a really awful experience. And I think that's Mm. how you become present. You find you're happy again. And I, yeah, I, I read something, the other day I've written it down for you Shannon and it was um, I don't even know where I saw it but there's this little saying and it was I stopped telling myself I was lost I'm not I'm on a road with no destination and I'm driving with hope that I will find a place that I like I will stay there I am not lost I'm on my way and I was like oh my goodness Mm. there you go I do and I feel like I'm on my way so if I can leave anything with your listeners I think there was a period of time I was saying I was really lost and that was another phrase but I'm definitely on my way now thank you for letting me talk about it today and us sharing and I'm so grateful that I met you Shannon and oh. yeah I look forward to seeing you continue your work and supporting what you're doing and and introducing a community of people to one another I think mm-hmm. finding your community and finding people who are like-minded who may have walked a similar path mm-hmm. is that, that's been the biggest support. So that that's yeah. another piece of something I'd like to leave that, yeah, de- definitely look for those like-minded people who are sharing their story because yeah. there's a lot of healing in that for sure.
0: Oh, thank you, Nicola. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on yep. my way. Yes. yeah, that's, yeah.
1: That's life's a journey
0: <laughs> well and and it is <laughs> yeah thank you once again and I'm absolutely glad that I've met you and and it's just amazing since I started this podcast how many beautiful people like yourself who have been willing to come on and share their story that it it has certainly been so much more helpful for my process as well in in recovering and 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 experiencing my gap year as well so I'm I'm so grateful that it it, it continues to happen (laughs) continue to come on because it's there is a lot of power and community and and I yeah want to create a community here yeah definitely well I look forward
1: to being a part of that now so so yeah
0: yeah thank thank you so much Nicola
1: my pleasure thanks Shannon
0: go i'd just like to say a big thank you for listening to this episode of burnout a different kind of gap year if you'd like to get in touch to provide some feedback please do there's lots of different ways that you can uh, through either the where you're listening or tuning into on the podcast sometimes there's facilities there or you can email me at a different kind of gap year at outlook.com i'm also on the social media pages both instagram and facebook Uh, which is under the handle Burnout, a different kind of gap year. If you did like this and or feel like someone else would benefit from listening to this, please share it. Don't keep it to yourself. The more we can talk about burnout, the more we can normalize and validate this experience for all people out there and um, support them in getting the help that they need. Uh, So that's it from me. Uh, Please subscribe if you'd like to uh, be informed when the next episode releases. But usually it's the first week or two of the month. Uh, So, yeah, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Burnout, a different kind of gap year. But until then, take care.